Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, uh, the 13th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. A 30-year-old man from Black Rock in County Loud was remanded in custody yesterday after the stabbing of a 93-year-old man on Saturday. James Riley was refused bail and will appear in court again on Friday. Garda Michael Rochford said the attack was vicious and resulted in the elderly man being stabbed twice in the abdomen and once in the hand. The Garda alleged that the elderly man had been in his garden when he was approached by this man who he didn't know after a brief exchange of words. Uh, the man attacked him. The 93-year-old and his wife prevented the man from getting into the house and uh, the victim's wife alleged that she saw the man attack her husband with a red object. A, a search of the accused's home was carried out later and a red kitchen knife was subsequently found under a sofa. Their clothing was also recovered. James Riley is also accused of a possession of a stolen property, a phone case belonging to a named man and a public service card owned by the pensioner's wife, which were allegedly found at the defendant's home. We're joined uh, this morning by Peter Fitzpatrick, who's an independent TD for Louth. Good morning to you and thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we heard from some of the local councillors yesterday, Emma Coffey and Maria Doyle, who told us uh, that uh, along with Sinn Féin's Rory Omuraku and yourself, the family made an appeal yesterday for information and also uh, wanted people listening to know that there are things to be considered in terms of home security to try and prevent this type of thing from happening to others. Well, first of all, Michael, uh, thanks very much for inviting me on your programme this morning. Uh, I was contacted yesterday morning by the family involved, uh, a very angry family, a family who couldn't understand what happened. Uh, a 93-year-old man uh, on Saturday afternoon... Peter, I'm sorry, um, we're having a, a, a small problem here with the microphones. Um, I think maybe I'll be able to get you on this Hello? Hello, yeah. I'm, ter- I'm terribly sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened there. My apologies uh, for that. Uh, as I was saying uh, at the outset, and apologies to people listening at home, uh, there, uh, there was a meeting uh, of yourself and other politicians with the family yesterday, uh, and obviously they're very concerned uh, about their father, their mother, uh, and indeed about other people, it would seem. 
Well, Michael, on, on Saturday afternoon, a 93-year-old man was sitting in his front garden. This man pulled up in the car, said he needed a bit of water for the car. The man was very helpful. He went to the back of the garden. He had his greenhouse. He got a watering can and turned around. The next thing, he was confronted with a man with a knife. Uh, the man with the knife uh, stabbed him in the hand. Then he, he continued to stab him three times in the stomach. Uh, at this stage, at this stage, Michael, his 89-year-old wife was looking at the window, seeing what was going on. It's an absolute disgrace what happened there on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. The family is very, very angry. The family, the, the, they're looking for uh, answers. Uh, if you look at this, happened in Sandy Lane in Black Rock, a very, very busy area. Mm-hmm. You've got a guard station across the road. You've, you've got a school. You've got a community centre. You've got a football field. Like you know, the footfall would be unbelievable. Mm. And even Michael, there's a, ch- there's a children playground there. Like uh, the family wants, wants wants answers and wants help. Uh, they asked they asked myself and and you know, the councillors who attended yesterday uh, morning could be help out. Uh, basically, uh, uh, I'm a member of the justice committee. Uh, yesterday morning, I, I tried to contact Charlie Flanagan. Uh, I believe Charlie's in Hollis at the moment. I contacted his constituency office. I contacted the Department of Justice. I contacted uh, the chairperson of the about this, uh, justice committee and all the members. What basically what I'm trying to do, Michael, is, uh, is, is, is get everybody together. Is, uh, like, it's, people mm. don't realise, it's the afterwards. Like, uh, the family was telling me that the mother was in, was, was in bed, waking up, screaming and shouting. She's afraid, afraid for her husband. She's afraid for herself. Like, people don't realise it. The damage that this man has done to a community, and I'm not just saying that, mm. Black Rock is one of the best and nicest communities you could ever come across. And, and over the last maybe six or seven months, it's getting a really, really rough time. Like this happened, similar incident happened back yeah. there in April with, with two 80-year-olds were mm. locked in a the bedroom. Mm. They were tackled by, a ha- by, by, by three people who had hammers and hatches in that there. Where do we stop? Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I think if this happened to, to me or happened to you, it would be a terrible thing uh, and a terrible thing for many reasons, but uh, we'd be far better equipped simply because of our age to deal with it psychologically as well as physically but when an attack like this happens against a 93 year old man and an 89 year old it's a, a very di- different thing and should be treated in a different way should it not? Oh, what I doubt, Michael is uh, like, like the local community especially in Black Rock there it's, it's a kind of a family community at the moment is. and in, in fairness when I spoke to the family yesterday like, they were saying these are not constituents yours Peter mm. these are families yours like and like, well, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to, to you know destroy communities, local communities? Are we are we trying to destroy people's way of life? Like we're all going to get old at some stage, and and like like my mother and father, like uh, when they were alive, and like we used to go down and visit them and make sure they were safe and everything else. And the neighbours in the street look after each other. Was, like uh, the the Arthur's committee there uh, 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 a few months ago. They 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 launched a. a, a thing there with, with the police and community and with local crime in the area and basically what they, they, were, they were talking about mm. getting more uh, community guards in the area they were getting maybe uh, more money invested in CCTVs they were talking about the, but the, uh, the, the community alert system and everything else and like, like in, in Lloyd especially in the Cooley areas there is a community alert system there and it does work fantastic I'm actually on on the text list there mm. at the moment. Is um, if they see anything suspicious in the area, they're contacting people in that there, and they've got a fantastic relationship there with the guards. Mm. And it, it, just even and he, that is fantastic, yeah. and it's something that we should all try to do and to look out for others, regardless of their age. But it, again, there is this issue of age and the impact that it has on people, and all the more so when you are that little bit older in life. This man, ninety three years of age, it, it was an ordeal. It certainly would have been an ordeal for me had I had to 
endure it, uh, or you, as I say. Uh, and it could have as easily been me or you and would be a terrible thing, but all the more terrible because of this man's age at 93. Uh, it is just a coincidence, it would seem, but as I was saying to you, there's reports in, this, in, in the papers this morning of a 93-year-old woman in Donegal uh, who's had her home ransacked for the third time. Uh, this happened yesterday morning at 10 o'clock. She was in the toilet and when she came out, uh, the two young men who had broken into her house heard her come and fled. Uh, they're said to be aged between 18 and 25. But a, a similar type of story, not the physical assault, but the intrusion into one's most private space uh, where you should be able to lock your door and feel safe and comfortable. Michael, it looks as though... Uh Gangs out there see, seem to be preying on these type of people. Like, uh, like, like attacking you, said a lady in Donegal mm. there at the moment. Like, and, and, and I believe that was the third time that happened. Mm. And like, like even this family now in Black Rock, like uh, six or seven years ago, is this family was was bogged as well. And wedding rings and jewelry, very important things. Really? The family was was, mm. was stolen. And to me, that's totally and mm. utterly wrong. Mm. So, how 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 do we prevent these things from happening? As I said, we're all getting older. We all need to be looked mm. after. Like, I wouldn't like Michael. I'm I'm a fit man. I wouldn't fancy being confronted no. by anybody mm. with a knife. And at the same time too, I wouldn't mm. think it happened to anybody else. But and I, think I wouldn't it, fancy being confronted by somebody with a knife in O'Connell Street, let alone in my own garden. Well, the, the, the biggest yeah. the biggest alarm at the moment that's sticking, sticking in my mind at the moment is that uh, there seems to be a, a big increase in burglaries. If mm. you take, for example, in, in Loudoun, especially the Dog and Black Rock area, like last year there was there was 24 burglaries reported in Black Rock. There was 213 uh, reported in Dog. There was more in Carlingford and Audi or any area. Bogleys seem to be on the increase. Mm. And there, there has to be a reason why Bogleys are on the increase. It's a handy way of, of people getting money. Yeah. Like, for example, there's, uh, I think Facebook and Twitter, we have to be very, very careful. Because when you look at Facebook and Twitter, the amount of families that, that's, that's telling everybody, oh, we're going on holidays here, mm. we're going on holidays mm. there. There's, there's, there seems to be too much information being given out there at the moment like I know for example when, when I go in holidays like there's always someone left in the house or my son or my daughter or someone will, will visit the house and I think we're kind of half lucky we, we seem mm. to have a, have a dog there and everything else it seems to be the deterrent but like and the, the alarms you have to make sure the alarms are in the morning time or, like, I remember years ago you could leave the house during the day but now when you leave the house mm. during the day you have to put on the alarm because, because you are worried and yeah. like but but one thing when you go away, uh, and one thing thinking about home security when you go away, but when you're just pottering around on a Saturday afternoon, as was the case with this elderly couple doing a, a bit of gardening when they were approached like this, uh, it's very, very difficult uh, to understand uh, the mindset of somebody who would carry out an attack like this. But I, I think, uh, as you were saying earlier, the... Uh, idea of an attack on a younger person has to be different than an attack on, on an older person, and that includes breaking into their home and their private space, does it not? Well, as I said, you like uh, if you look at the bogleys there in twenty eighteen, there was two hundred and thirteen bogleys in the dark. Mm. Like, and I do believe that an awful lot of these are repeat offenders. Mm. So we're going to have. Well, they're feeding drug habits quite like, a lot. Well, what's happening is I know, for example, that one family in particular, uh, they were broken into four times in the last twelve months as mm. such, and it's the same person the whole time. Mm. So we're going to have to look at the. And laws. you know who that person is, do you? Oh well, Michael. Uh, I well, I'm not asking you, no, saying, but but you know they, who you, you know of the person, do yeah, you? Because it could, uh, and would I be far off the mark, <laughs> or, or or shock me if you will, and tell me that he, he's not a drug user? 
No, Mike, in, in fairness, the, the, the drug situation in the whole of Ireland is a very, very serious situation there. Mm. And I, but the I, fellow who's I, broken into that couple's house four times, he has to be a drug user, is he not? Well, well, this person, I believe it or not, he, is, he has a drug problem. Yeah, but, of course well, he does. Well, and well, that's why he's doing it to feed his habit. Well, if, well, if it's drug problems or whether it's drink problems, so mm. there's, there's a serious lot of issues there at the moment. Is, mm. And it's something we're going to have to combat there at the moment. And in fairness, the guards are doing their best. The Gebelin in the area is doing their best. It's, but, you know, what, what are we going to do? Is, mm. Like... like we seem to be we seem to be saying oh we're going to spend so much money on on mental health for example like like every year you look there oh, the mm. government saying we're going to spend thirty five million here sixty million there and everything else but we don't seem to be doing anything at all like if you walk down any street whether it's Dundalk or or Drogheda or mm. Dublin at the moment is like you you you're being approached by people tapping looking for money but do we not need to ask ourselves the cost of the prohibition of drugs if that fellow didn't have to feed his drug habit would he have broken into that house four times and somebody else's house four times and somebody else's house uh, uh, again in the future another four times yes I agree with you because uh, even in my constituency offices there's, not, there's really not a day passes that uh, people come in who's mm. abusing themselves with drugs abusing themselves with alcohol mm. and basically what they're doing they're looking for help and in fairness they can, we do contact the HSE we do contact the doctors and everything else and we do try our best to help them out but unless they want to help themselves it, it, it but but the drug situation we it's 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 an epidemic in, in this country at the moment. It's it's very very serious. Mm. And whether you put on the BBC or OTE, no matter no matter what poll you put on, is there seems to be a serious serious issues with drugs. Mm. Every, every day you hear in Dublin now, even in certain areas, there's drug seizures here and drug seizures there. Mm. This country seems to be very handy. But it's a, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of policing resources. Uh, it's a waste of money, and it leads to a situation where those who are addicted to the drugs have to pay huge amounts of money for the drugs because they're illegal. Uh, and if they didn't have to pay so much to feed their habit, well then they wouldn't have to break into people's houses, which leads to more policing, more time, more money. Mike, I have mothers and fathers come to my consistency office. They're telling me that their sons have having issues or their daughters mm. have an issue for drugs. They're telling me that the drug people is, is, is dealing with the drugs have threatened the families. Mm. And they'll basically, like, initially start off that they own the drug dealer maybe 100 euros. Mm. Next thing it's gone up to 200 then it's up to so much, and they are, and what's happening is yeah. families, I believe, are going into local credit unions, mm. getting loans out, trying to protect their families. But unless we 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 we, we sort this issue out once and for all, because uh, anyone who was going to a into a house but and, and stab, sorry, stab a ninety-three-year-old yeah. man, three or four, this, he's either got mental problems, he has mm. a drug problem, but he, he does have very very serious issues. Mm. And well, my biggest fear too is that maybe if he goes up in front of a judge. And he pleads that he's mental health problems or he's drug problems mm. at the moment. He'd probably go into rehab, and then next thing, if three or four months or five months down the road, he's released again. And, and how is that going to affect the families? And, uh, of course, in uh, the incident that took place in Blackrock over the weekend, we don't know uh, who was responsible for the stabbing or what the motivation was. Uh, but in general terms, you're probably correct in what you're saying. And again, in general terms, would it not be better if it's a drug user, let's say, that they could go up to a HSE office? and that they could get heroin or cocaine or hash if they're going to take it anyway uh, and not have to pay a fortune so that they don't go into debt so that their families aren't threatened that their homes aren't burnt down that the gangsters don't have a market to supply their product to so that they're not breaking into houses to get the money to feed their habit and so on and all of these things that stem from the one thing which is that you've got drugs which are illegal and people take them they become addicted to them and then they have to pay huge amounts of money for them. Michael, what we need to set up, Michael, take for example, we've said in dog is we need to set up some kind of a drug centre 
that people who do have problems with drugs come in and people who are looking for a bit of help. I've sent many of the people, Michael, but even if they're not looking for even if they're not looking for help, why not make it available to them legally? Come in and have your heroin without any precondition. And don't break into people's houses. Don't go buying it from the gangsters who have the guns. Come in and have your heroin. And while you're here, we might say to you, would you like help? But you don't have to take it. But just don't go breaking into people's houses. Don't go giving the big drug dealers the money. First of all, it had to be controlled, done properly, because you couldn't you couldn't have uh, drug, drug, druggies coming in, in, in into a centre. All of a sudden, you get into the drugs and they go away with the drugs. And next thing, mm. they're selling the drugs in, on the streets. As I said, is it's very important that the government sits there and put a there'd drug nobody, strategy together. There'd be nobody to buy them on the streets, if you understand Michael, what I'm suggesting to you. There's always, there's always someone in the street. Why would you buy them on the streets when you could just go up to the HSE and get them? Michael, there'd be a lot of people that mightn't come in because of the stigma attached to drugs and MES at the moment. And as you know yourself, Michael, we're so close to the border there at the moment. Like, like, like What's going to happen there at the moment is if we do set up a drugs... Uh, mm. uh, scheme or system in the dark there at the moment is and we get people who's on the streets coming in drugs and the drugs are properly uh, given and, and looked after and as you says it, the, 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 the point is is to get these people off the drugs mm. and like, it's no point Michael people coming into, in, in, into, in, into, into a centre and all you're doing the whole time is, is feeding with drugs and drugs and drugs next thing they're but we way. do that anyway yeah but next thing they're way and, and like, as we I say, do yeah, that anyway no. we have people on methadone mm. in this country for 10 years I mean, methadone is one of the strongest drugs that you could possibly take. It's a heroin substitute. Uh, And we give it legally and we say, this is great, we're dealing with the drugs problem by giving a different drug to the one that's illegal. Mike, it's, it's important that the drugs the drugs are given to people who actually need the drugs. As I said to you, if, if you've got the proper people in, as I said to you, many times people come into my consistency office, uh, we, we send them up, we send them to the doctor, the doctor section's in, they send up the uh, psychiatric uh, units there in the dog, or sorry, in Jordan or mm. in Dublin, and basically in maybe a half an hour or a couple of hours later, they're back in the streets again, and they're doing the exact same thing again. Unless we can do it and control it. Like uh, the Minister for... Uh, at the moment for the drugs is uh, Jim Daly. Uh, I've, I've tackled him numerous times in the doll because we do have serious issues, not only for the mental health. Daughter, for mental health mm. in the like, mm. like, like this man who attacked, mm. this man who attacked this 93-year-old man is, he, might, Michael, there's no one in the right minds would tackle a man at 93 years of age if he had neither mental health or drug to one. This man has serious, serious issues. Mm. And it's, it's very important too... That Wh- whoever whoever yeah, that man yeah, may be, yeah, and that yeah, needs to be determined yeah. by the courts, but, it has but, to be stressed. It's yeah. important that when he, when he goes up in front of the judge, that like, you know, the, like, if, he, if he has got a psychiatric report there saying that he, that he has mental health problems, and it's important that he is looked after. But Michael, it's very important too that this man is not put back on the street nearly straight away at the moment. Mm. Like, if, if we're talking about helping him, like, you know, help him with his drugs or help him with his mental issues. But at the same time too, Michael, we have to remember, like, this was an innocent man, an mm. innocent family, and it's only his family, it's his sons, his mm. daughters, and all. Like, I went to that house yesterday in the morning, and when I walked in that house, and the family showed me the scene, like, the blood was real dark blood at the moment. Like, that man must have really suffered. He was sitting down in, in, in the sofa. Uh, this, 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 they said the paramedics came very, very quick. And, uh, mm. like, like, like that, that family's never going to forget what, what happened there at the moment. And this man, 
like, you can't walk scot free. Like, like the family, the family's asked me, to, as I said, yeah, no, sorry, well, the family, the, family's asked me for. Well, no, sorry, just for a second. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take it again. You're talking in general terms, assuming that somebody is brought before the courts and is found to be guilty of this particular incident, uh, and we're not at that stage mm. yet. Uh, and obviously, that's a, a matter for the courts. But if somebody is found guilty of this, they should get a, a severe sentence. That's what your point is, I think. Is it? Oh yeah, Michael. Mm-hmm. Like, we we have to review the laws. We have to review the the, the, the bail laws. We have to. Uh, review the, pa- uh, the trespass laws we have to strengthen the rights of the landlord mm. the landlords and also the, the, the people in the houses this, 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 it's too easy at the moment for someone to go in boggle the house rob bits and pieces come, by, come out next thing they're arrested next thing they're put back on the street again as I said these are repeat offenders and unless the, the punishment is suits this crime we have to do something like we can also blame mm. mental health we can blame drugs but the bottom line is these people have attacked a family that's innocent, uh, an elderly family who's, who's done nothing wrong. This man has been sitting in his garden for the last 20 or 30 years. He's a very proud man. Mm. And, 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 and he must be a very, very strong man because mm, yeah, the, he, you know, mm. he's, he's in hospital at the moment and uh, uh, all we hope is that he makes a recovery. We hope that the family makes a recovery. But listen, there's an awful lot of things to do, Michael. And as I said, is uh, the drug situation, the alcohol situation. Like we have a lot of problems in this country, and unless we, for once and for all, sort this out, we have to make sure that mm. the elderly people feel safe in their own community. Like it's important that everybody rolls in this yeah. family rolls in together. Mm. And, and if you and see, let's hope that when we're elderly, that the community will make sure that we're okay as well. For that matter, we have to leave it there. We've run over time, but uh, thank you for your time and for coming into us uh, this morning. For that matter, Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD for Louth. Michael Reed on LMFM. Meagre price for 43 Garda stations. Uh, That's uh, the headline of uh, the story uh, that leads on the front page of uh, the Irish Examiner today. And it would appear to be uh, meagre price. Let's uh, talk to Elaine Lachlan, who's writing about this for the Examiner. That price, it seems, is 3.29 million euro for 43 former Garda stations, Elaine. Yes, Michael. So you're talking about an average of, of €76,000 per station that has been sold off so far. Now, the prices vary greatly in that uh, amongst those 43 mm. stations. The lowest actually was in, in County Mead. Um, Cross Akeel Garda Station or former Garda Station now sold for, for €6,000. And I know a couple of years ago when it did go under the hammer, when it was sold, there was there was a, quite a lot of immediate attention around it purely because of the price. Mm. Um, it was quite a small station now. There was about, I think, three rooms, a kind of a kitchen toilet facility and then another room in it Um, and it had been offered to to the nearest um, neighbour at the time for around 10,000 neighbour didn't take it up and it did finally sell for 6,000 euro Mm. so that's the lowest end Indeed Uh, and uh, I suppose some people would say uh, that you wouldn't get an air bed for 6,000 euro, the site in itself uh, would be worth money so it was a very questionable sale as you say it got a a lot of attention Close to the M3 as well, within commuter distance of Dublin where you'd probably pay 6,000 euro over three months in rent Mm. uh, at the moment so certainly value for money for whoever got that one And, Um, And it's not just that property is cheap in Mead, uh, whilst the most expensive station that was sold off was in Cork. Kilmesson in County Mead uh, managed uh, to yield some €200,000. 
Yes, and there was a third station in Meath as well, Longwood, um, that was sold for €76,000. Again, uh, prices in Longwood would be fairly healthy mm. uh, in commuter distance of Dublin as well, and there's a lot of new estates, quite a, a vibrant um, little community out in Longwood at the moment. So that was probably, again, uh, a good price for that one, whoever whoever managed to, to buy that one. There have been a number of stations as well. Now, not all stations have been sold off. Some mm. have been repurposed, um, which is what the OPW say they try to do with all stations, if at all possible. Mm. So we've had a number. One uh, on Valencia Island has been given over to the Coast Guard. We've seen the state pathologist move into another one in Dublin. Um, and then even one in, in County Roscommon has been transferred over to the HSE and is used as an ambulance mm. base. Because when you talk about the 43 stations uh, that were sold, so this is out of uh, the 139 stations that were decommissioned. This goes back uh, to an announcement in 2013 to close these stations. Mm-hmm. And it was quite controversial at the time, if you remember, oh, God, especially yeah. in the mm-hmm. context of rural crime um, and the closure of post offices, the closure of banks in rural Ireland and all the rest. Um, so that announcement was made. The OPW have been either trying to repurpose them or sell them off or, or give them to community organisations since then. But there's still uh, a bunch of 51 mm. that haven't been sold or haven't been uh, converted into other uses. Um, there was a review of those carried out just recently and uh, the the Gardaí have since said that there's still 47 of those that they no longer need, their surplus to requirements, and the OPW is now processing them. Um, they do say again, as I said, if at all possible, state holds on to them and reuses them. Otherwise, they try to give them to the community. Mm. But another issue creeping into this, Michael, yes. is the cost of insurance. Yeah. And the OPW do have privately told me that they are concerned that maybe uh, community organisations who'd like to take these over and would have a purpose for them in, in local communities might not be able to purely because of the cost it would it would be to, to pay for insurance on these properties so each year. So they may be able to buy the building as in Cross Akeel for €6,000 and to decide uh, that they like it uh, for uh, community uh, events and uh, different groups and that type of thing but the insurance would be so prohibitive that they wouldn't use the building and it may end up being derelict. Exactly. Well, it, it would be probably sold off in that case. Where they do hand them over to communities, they hand them over under licence, so they're not exactly sold um, to community organisations or local groups, um, you know, mm. senior citizens groups and maybe, you know, local crash groups. Um, so they're, they're not sold off, so they would be sold off to private interests or private bodies or whoever is interested in them, I suppose, if they cannot find either a state purpose or a community-based purpose for them. Okay, uh, and uh, that uh, station in Cross Akeel uh, was remarkably cheap at uh, 6,000, uh, but uh, there were six stations sold for less than 20,000. Yes, there were, and then there was a further eight sold between 20,000 and 50,000. Um, so it seems to me, anyway, given the, as I said, the, both the rental crisis in mm. Ireland and across the country, and, and the difficulty a lot of especially young people are, are having in trying to get mortgages and all the rest. Um, there was a few properties there, probably in the centre of villages as well, given that they were, they were guard the stations, sold for, for under 50,000. Only two of the 43, as we said before, were sold for over the 200,000. That was the one in Kilmesna and one in Cork. Mm. Um, so there, there are concerns, and Catherine Murphy, the Social Democrat TD, who got all of this information 
um, through a parliamentary question. She's saying that these prices are meagre and that the state, its taxpayers' money at the end of the day, should be trying to get the best possible price. Mm. Um, the OPW did come back to me now and said they get them valued by a, an auctioneer and the majority of the time they're sold by auctioneers. Sometimes they're sold through a private treaty as well. Um, I think that was the case in Cross Keel. Um, there were a number of um, issues, I suppose, with that, that it possibly could only be sold to the nearest neighbour. Um, and there are difficulties in, in some cases like that that might only suit one person. It would be very interesting, though, to follow up on all 43 stations, wouldn't it, and to see uh, what became of them and if investors purchase them with the objective of flipping them and buying them maybe for 20 or 50,000 and selling them on for 100 or 150,000. Certainly, certainly. And a lot of those, the three that I've mentioned in Mead mm. within commuter distance of Dublin, you'd get a nice rent for them. I know yeah. at the time um, media spoke to uh, the locals who bought the one across the Keel and they were mentioning that they might rent it out at weekends. It's close to a number of wedding venues. Um, it's a, it would make a lovely one bed apartment I suppose um, and a lot of them might be small little buildings like that that you probably would rent out fairly easy mm. or as you said um, do it up and flip it on with, for, for a bit of a profit Okay, interesting stuff. Thank you indeed Elaine for joining us this morning. Elaine Lachlan political correspondent with the Irish Examiner Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the beef talks have adjourned uh, following uh, the meetings between uh, Beef Plan and uh, the factories, as well as uh, some government agencies and uh, indeed farming representatives. They went late into the night last night, and uh, the Irish Farmers Journal is reporting now that some progress has been made. Pat O'Toole, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, is on the line. Good morning to you, Pat, and thanks for joining. It was about 2 o'clock when they finished up, was it? Yeah, around 2 a.m., so um, pretty intensive. Uh, 12 hours uh, with only short breaks, <clears throat> pretty intensive. A lot of voices at the table. Uh, six farm organisations were present. So uh, I suppose the most striking thing was that uh, all the farm organisations coming out were reporting a unity of approach and purpose by them. Um the feeling going in was that with so many different farming voices there, many of them coming with a different perspective, uh, that it would be hard to maintain focus and that MII might try to play one off against the other. Mm. So uh, that doesn't seem to have happened. And uh, there was progress on a number of issues. OK, uh, there was a, a stalemate of sorts, I, I gather, which uh, required ministerial intervention. Minister Creed rang about two o'clock, did he? Uh, that's our understanding, yes. Yeah. So, look, I suppose um, the way we were uh, understanding is that the, where the stalemate arrived in is that MII, they're a representative body for the factories, <coughs> but they only have so much authority and uh, they needed to revert to discuss with all the factory owners and the and factory management uh, the various proposals that were uh, put to them uh, to see, you know, what can be done on the import timescale. Um and if they would be agreeable, if they're possible, then if, if they're agreeable to doing them. So um, the ball is now in MII's court. Um, there is an agenda of work that's been put to them. And uh, it, the the, uh, the time space is to allow them to come back to farmers uh, with their with their side of the of the story, if you like, and for them to come back uh, with, I think farmers will want both 
definitive answers on what's going to happen and also a timescale because uh, these things get, tend to get kicked down the road unless there's a firm timescale put in place. Okay, and I, I suppose uh, the big question is who's profiting from this? Where does the money go? Uh, and uh, there's a question of transparency and this is one of the issues uh, that they're going to work on. Yeah, that's long been a bugbear in the beef sector. Um, the placards during the recent protests uh, were highlighting the fact that the farmers only getting 20% of the retail price that's, that's paid in, in supermarkets and butchers. Uh, so where's the rest of it going? Well, it's being divided out between the processor and the retailer. Uh, but it's very hard to work out uh, what that relationship is like. And of course, processors sell to more than just the retail trade. Um, you've got rest and restaurants, hotels, etc. So um, the I suppose... Uh, how is it going to work? Well, there is a parallel in the dairy sector. Uh, an independent body um, assesses the uh, market price and develops an index. So it's a price index, and that goes up or down. And off that index, farmers are able to uh, assess the, the, uh, the quality of the price that they're getting back from their dairy co-op. So it would be something similar to be a price index, a meat price index. And back off that then, um, farmers would be able to assess the price they're getting uh, from the factories, whether it's up to scratch or not. Yeah, and if it's a, a fair price or yeah. not. Uh, and uh, the posters uh, that the beef plan movement had that you mentioned a moment ago spelled it out very clearly for most of us who wouldn't normally think about uh, the price of beef or how it's divided out and the retailer gets €5.10 they said for three days work, the processor gets two ninety for three days work and the farmer gets €2 for two years work. But what if that is the fair price? What if the processor and the retailer can't work any cheaper? Well then, well, farmers are losing money and going broke at the moment. So um, the inevitable conclusion is if if the retailer and the processor can't work any cheaper, well, that means it's too cheap. Because um, not just from an economic point of view, but also from an environmental point of view, mm. um, if you don't have the true price, um, you you don't have proper use of anything. If something's too cheap, it's not valued. And uh, last week, the International Panel on Climate Change, I know this is a bit of a jump, but there, yeah. there's a very close mm-hmm. linkage. They pointed out that in the first world, up to 30% of food is wasted mm. post, uh, post-retail. So the uh, uh, there is an argument that food is too cheap, and one of the issues around overproduction and overconsumption is wastage. And uh, if people were, were buying less, using it more efficiently, and uh, the farmer was getting a better price, it could be a win-win for the environment, the producer and the consumer who would have more money in their pocket at the end of it. So, so maybe if, if meat was more expensive, we might eat enough meat or we might buy enough meat to eat and rather than buying so much that we end up throwing it out. Yeah, and, and I think meat is not the worst offender in that regard. It's actually more mm. relevant, I think, around fresh food, fruit and vegetables in particular. But I think that is a message across all food. Food has become incredibly cheap relative. Now, I know say that to the housewife who's trying to balance the budget at the end of the week. But food relative to other uh, 
things that, that families need to buy on, on a regular basis has become incredibly cheap. It is about half, it takes up about half of much of the household budget as it did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And, and that's, I suppose, a tribute to the success of the Common Agricultural Policy. One of the aims of the Common Agricultural Policy, which was formed in the wake of World War II during food shortages all across Europe, was to make sure that there was a supply of safe, quality food at an affordable price for ordinary families and uh, to also ensure that uh, we had a strong agricultural economy in rural Europe. Mm. It has largely succeeded, but it's facing its greatest challenges now at the same time as climate change emerges as a significant other challenge to agricultural production. What about currency? Can factories do anything if, let's say, sterling plummets, uh, which it has? Uh, We're told uh, that Brexit is already having an impact uh, and uh, we've seen sterling go from uh, about 87 to 92 pence on the euro. Uh, But that's out of the hands of the factories, isn't it? It is, and it it absolutely is, but it's also out of the hands of the farmers. And the point farmers would make is why should they take all the pain? There has to be shared pain. I mean, the workers in in, uh, any of the beef plants are entitled to their wage every week, and rightly so, irrespective of the sterling exchange rate. Um, The vets who come in uh, to do their work in the factories, um, the the people who stack the shelves in the supermarkets, everyone else involved uh, from farm to fork gets... Uh, make sure that they get their uh, their fair wage um, and the farmer takes the hit every time something goes wrong and that's where the equity, transparency in the food chain is something progress has been achieved on but equity in the food chain where um, like in any other walk of life where, where things are tight everyone has to share the pain a little and share the burden and work through it together because if not farmers are going to go out of business and then the factories won't have anyone to buy from. Okay and the factories offer different prices depending on how the animal has been graded. Uh, tell us about the grid system because this is uh, to be reviewed as well. Yeah, so um, the, the base price is there and at the moment the base price, as we've been saying, is not, it's not high enough for farmers. But irrespective of the base price, price there, there are bonus payments um, uh, according to confirmation, that's the shape of the animal and fat score. So the, uh, obviously you want a nice lean, not not too lean, but, but pretty lean uh, meat because uh, the marbling and the fat brings a lot of the taste. So um, the ideal fat score is, and the ideal confirmation is what everyone is striving for. So it's important to reward that. The factories get more meat out of the animal. It's more efficient and the farmer gets a better price and the consumer gets a better product. So the... Um, the, the grid has been in place for about 12 years now and it's in it's in need of review. Sorry, 10 years, a little mm-hmm. over 10 years. It's in need of review and it's going to have a fundamental review now. And uh, it, I think the focus of it will to be to make sure that uh, there's no restrictive practices in there which force farmers to go to the gates on the, with animals that uh, I suppose that guarantees the factories a throughput. And the other one then is that the payments... Um, reflect the quality of the animal. Okay, summed up for us, if you would, Pat, would uh, you say that yesterday's 12-hour session was uh, a preliminary session and agreed the basis for talks? And I think, yeah, I'd say it's gone a little further than that in that there is proposals put to the processors and the ball's in their court now. They have to come back to the farmers. And when they do, they need to be mindful that uh, the farmers who went on the pickets for two weeks are not going to accept this being kicked down the road 
they want a time frame for progress and uh, they want to see uh, an impact in their pockets. Uh, and they'll come back in the next few days. Uh, I think uh, you've said it'll be on Thursday. If not, it'll be Monday. But when they do come back, will the retailers be present? Uh, unlikely. Unlikely. I think the conversations with the retailers uh, do need to take place. But if this forum worked well on uh, uh, through yesterday, um, I I think it would be appropriate to leave it alone um, and to let it progress the issues it can as far as possible. Um, And there needs to be either parallel um, or or linked talks with the retailers, whether it's retailers directly with farmers. Um, And I think also the consumer should have a stake in this because ultimately Mm. the consumers are the ones who are paying, footing the bill for everything. The consumers um, um, have never been asked enough, in my opinion, what they want because uh, farmers would see the evolution of farmers' markets, the slow food. Consumers are becoming more discerning about uh, food and what they buy, and uh, maybe we should be bringing them in along with retailers, processors and farmers. Okay, interesting. All right, we leave there for the moment uh, an ongoing uh, process, and I suppose nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, but uh, I think it's clear speaking to you, Pat, uh, that uh, there is scope for hope. Yes. Okay, thank you indeed. Pat O'Toole, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Eileen phoned from Dundalk and she says the fact is Michael that many old people sadly are petrified in their beds at night and not just at night time also during the day she says God be with the days when you could leave your key in the front door when you were living especially Mm. in a rural area people used to pop in and pop out and you'd never have to worry about it and she says it's shocking to think that pensioners are being targeted, not just in isolation, but in some cases repeatedly in their homes. What can we do to protect them? Something needs to be done, Eileen says. She feels that a conversation needs to be had. Okay. Another listener didn't give a name, but says perhaps there's a case, Michael, for for providing old age pensioners with dogs for protection. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, yeah. Okay. Uh, Marie from Drogheda phoned in and says, Michael, yesterday you spoke about the mini riot in Drogheda, uh, how when Gardy took the batons out, it very quickly dispersed. I feel listening to your programme t- yesterday and again today that tougher sentencing is needed, that we need tougher laws also. People need to know that when they do something that's wrong, that they don't get off lightly that they get a tough sentence, says mm. Marie. OK, well, I suppose that's uh, something for us all to think about. Uh, there's certainly a lot of, of concern about uh, these uh, stories as they arise and it seems as though uh, we forget about it then and uh, the next story comes up. Yes, uh, Pat from Castle Bellingham says, uh, Michael and Peter are rambling on there, talking a load of bull. What you need to be focusing on is what happens when people are caught. Again, touching on that about the the need for punishment. Many are repeat offenders. You see it in the newspapers all the time. But when they are punished, Michael, they're treated like royalty in our prisons with TVs and gym memberships, the whole lot, while the victims are left terrified and trying to piece 
their lives together. Okay. So that's Pat's thoughts mm. on it. Uh, Derek, on the same topic, uh, feels that Peter Fitzpatrick is right uh, that old people should feel safe in their own communities, in their own homes. But what you see happening all over the country, it is sad that they are not, that they can't feel secure. The old people are easy targets. And particularly, I feel, in rural area. Uh, areas the Gardaí are missed. There needs to be Gardaí p- patrolling the countryside, keeping a watchful eye out to prevent these kind of attacks. Mm. That if there were more Gardaí around, that they would notice when something was, you know, maybe suspicious. Maybe so. And mm. um, that's his thoughts on it yeah, anyway. Okay. Vera feels that the law is far too lenient. Uh, the elderly should be allowed to live out their lives with a piece of dignity, okay. says Vera. All right, well, an awful lot of strong feelings there, not surprisingly so, uh, given uh, the level of uh, anxiety that people must undergo after an attack like the one. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, that that family in Black Rock, Black Rock had to endure on Saturday a really, really terrible thing and really brings home to us uh, the type of danger that people might feel or perceive uh, that they're under when they're living in isolated areas or without yes. protection of some sort. Jim from Navin says, when uh, is the government and the courts going to cop on to the breakdown in law and order? You have gangs attacking Gardaí and roaming mm. around like wild animals. And then you see a poor man stabbed in his own home. Where are the curfew laws gone? Hold parents to account with these thugs. They want to hide behind their age limit. It's scandalous, says Jim and Naffin. Okay, strong thoughts there again. Uh, Joe jo phoned in and says, uh, listening into your conversation and just regarding drugs, uh, I think you're coming from the wrong end of it, Michael. Having drug places available, are you not just generating more people to use drugs? And who's going to pay for all of this? The taxpayers, of course, and I don't feel there is money there to do this kind of thing. Young people in this country... 
uh, are the people who hold the clout mm. for stopping drugs of any description. It's like stolen stuff, Michael. If there's no market for stolen stuff, there's no reason to steal it. Okay, yeah. Well, that's the debate, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he makes uh, the other side of the argument very well. I think that there is a, a market. There's no end to the market. And don't think for a minute that you're not paying for it. Well, Joe feels that it's time for young people in towns all over Ireland to stand up and be counted. They should be leading the protest against drugs. They have to do it for themselves. No point in waiting for the government to do everything. They need to protest and make the point that abstention is the only cure. We see deaths all the time, Michael, through drugs. And you're rattling on about climate change on your country when drugs is the big issue in this country. They are buying drugs today that will kill them tomorrow. Okay, well, again, they're all the bits that make up uh, the parts of uh, the discussion and it is a very complicated discussion and uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. Let's go back to that other complicated issue of Brexit and uh, how the United Kingdom can and leave the European Union without destroying themselves, destroying us, destroying all of Europe and indeed probably causing a global recession. There were to be talks, at least it was reported on Sunday in the Sunday Telegraph, that there were to be talks between the Taoiseach Leo Radker and the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Yesterday afternoon, though, a spokesperson for the Prime Minister said that no talks were scheduled at all, despite the report in the Sunday Telegraph and the subsequent media reporting on a meeting that had been scheduled. No meeting scheduled at all, but it does appear that a meeting has been scheduled uh, and that happened last night. Now the question is, where will that meeting take place? Will it be in Dublin or London? The press in the United Kingdom seem to be of the opinion that it'll be in London and uh, that it'll be Leo Radker who'll be going cap in hand hoping for a, a deal to save the Irish. Please, Mr Johnson, in other words, uh, which uh, would give out uh, the wrong optics from an Irish perspective. There's been a number of things that have happened uh, recently as well in relation to how the United Kingdom leaves and if it will be with a deal or without a deal or if it matters and possibly not if uh, the United States steps in and brokers a deal with uh, the, a trade deal that is with the United Kingdom and uh, the National Security Advisor in America John Bolton has said that the White House will reward the UK for a successful Brexit and that Donald Trump and others were levers before there were any levers in the United Kingdom and that they'd be first in line to stand in and do a deal so that the United Kingdom won't have to worry about trade with Europe because they'll be able to trade with America instead. Indeed, this was an issue that was discussed and agreed in America when the new Foreign Affairs Minister in the United Kingdom, Dominic Raab, visited there and uh, met with Mike Pompeo. We support the United Kingdom's sovereign choice. However, Brexit ultimately shakes out and we'll be on the doorstep, pen in hand, ready to sign a new free trade agreement at the earliest possible time. Uh, Our enthusiasm, you've heard this from the President as well, uh, points to an economic reality I see everywhere that I go. The United States is the best partner for trade investment in the world. As you'd say, full stop. Uh, our dynamic system of free enterprise has produced enormous prosperity, and I know that the two countries will be able to continue to do that together. We've kind of had this Brexit issue, you may have noticed, uh, preoccupying us in the UK. Uh, this government, this cabinet, 
He is absolutely resolved, determined to leave the EU by the end of October. We will stay good friends uh, and good neighbours uh, with our European partners, uh, but we are at the same time determined to seize the global opportunities beyond Europe for the United Kingdom. And of course, America is our single largest bilateral trading partner. Uh, President Trump has made clear again that he wants an ambitious free trade agreement with the UK. So I hope we can make that happen as soon as possible after we leave the EU on the 31st of October. Dominic Rabb and Mike Pompeo agreeing that they'll be leaving on the 31st of October and there'll be a deal. Uh, well, if there isn't a, a deal, there'll be chaos and disorder. That was the view last December of Simon Wolfson. Now, maybe you're like me and the only thing you know about next is that they sell a fine line of clothing. But Simon Wolfson is the chief executive officer of Next and he's a member of the House of Lords. He's changed his view since December when he talked about chaos and disorder resulting from a no deal exit. And that's because of Boris Johnson's premiership. And he now says he's not of afraid of a no deal. He's been speaking to the BBC. I think the encouraging thing is that I think we are rapidly moving from the gridlock and chaos camp into the well-prepared camp and to have a government and civil service that is now determinedly endeavouring to make sure that we are prepared is really important. I would much prefer a deal to no deal but I'm much less frightened of no deal if government's well prepared. We've got every indication that they're now taking that seriously. I I assumed a level of confidence and energy and vigour in government that certainly wasn't in the last administration. I'm very pleased to see that that vigour has now come to government and that we are properly preparing for all eventualities. Lord Simon Wolfson, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Next Clothing Retail Chain, uh, speaking to BBC Radio 4 today, and it's not what he said so much as who's saying it and uh, the influence uh, that uh, the leader of such a big uh, corporation would have and uh, the influence that might have on some of the policymakers. Let's go back to more of your comments now, Marie. What else have you got for us? We had a, f- a phone call from Debbie who says that she's been listening in uh, to the various discussions in relation to farmers uh, for the past week and she says the way the farmers in the country go on, she doesn't know why any of them are still working their farms because they must be making absolutely nothing. They are forever winching, says Debbie, so she doesn't have much sympathy for the plight of the farmer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also had a listener in touch, uh, Eric, who phoned in in relation to the talks on the the beef row. And uh, Eric feels that farmers need to get their message across, that they need to be listened to or else the protests will be resuming. Okay, well, (laughs) I think that's probably the truth, at least uh, that's what some farmers are saying at least. All right, we'll finish Mm. on that, Michael. Okay, thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you, and our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. A 17 year old boy was ordered to serve 180 hours of community service yesterday. This was in lieu of a one year sentence for the defilement of a 12 year old girl three years ago. The girl felt forced to have oral sex with the boy when he was just 14. The 12 year old girl had also been forced 
on two other occasions to have oral sex with another boy, a 17-year-old boy. It began with this boy forcing the little girl to give him oral sex while other boys looked on and took photos. Four days later, the 17-year-old forced the 12-year-old girl to have oral sex with him again and told her afterwards she had to give the 14-year-old a blowjob or he would show the photos of her to everyone. He asked the 14-year-old boy if he was gay or would he let the girl give him oral sex. The boy says he was afraid if he didn't agree there would be stories about him all over social media. The girl ran off after 10 seconds despite feeling she had to do it because of the photographs and the fact she was shaking with fear for this 10 seconds it lasted. The younger boy, now aged 17, was given 180 hours of community service, as I said. The older boy, now aged 20, is due for sentence in October. What makes young children think this way? Well, let's talk about this with John Kelly, who's coordinator of the Survivors of Child Abuse Group, SOCA. A very good morning to you, John, and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. I suppose uh, we don't know what would motivate people to act this way, but with such young children and the prevalence of pornography on the internet, uh, I suppose uh, we're probably not too far off the mark to think of where they might have learned to behave like this. Good morning, Mike. Uh, right, well, to tackle this, first of all, I think it has to be a multi-layer approach. It really does. And, I've, and I bring in a few people I think who could solve a lot of these problems. But we have to look at it. Things have changed. I remember some years ago, I met with a doctor, Jeffrey Shannon. He invited us in. He's the special rapport on child protection. He was appointed in light of the Supreme Court decision on the, you might recall, in 2008, the CC case. Uh, his terms of reference, uh, basically, is to uh, review and look at all the legal developments in protection of children. Now, we'll go into that in a moment. But I remember at that meeting where we would... I'd be very impressed, I have to say, with, with this uh, professor, um, Jeffrey Shannon. Mm. He decided to bring myself and our group in as victims to learn how we could do this. Now, little did we know at the time, lurking in the background was another big beast that was waiting to unfold. And what we did, we concentrated on how best to protect children. Well, basically from pedophiles, because that's how it was. Mm. Now, we needed, the beast I'm talking about is how do we protect children from children. Because they now become, because you must remember at the time, we didn't even think of how paedophiles was accessing and using the internet to exploit children. That came later, but now is another matter. And as gruesome and as horrible as what you just described, Mm. the idea for that that poor young girl. Believe it or not, Mike, there was worse. There's worse out there. We only have to go back to the trial there of... Uh, the two young boys and that girl who died. Yeah, and a crucial, yeah. And mm-hmm. now, that should have woken us up to what it is. Now, we, we heard the evidence come out in that trial. And bearing in mind, these two young perpetrators are only children. They're children themselves. Mm. Just like this 17-year-old, he's still a child. Now, you're right, we have to go to the core of it. But what came out in that is hoods, how knives pornography, how to do all of that. Mm. That's 
where it all stems from and lies. Now, so what we need to look at here is how are children accessing these things? And it, it, there's a couple of layers as an approach. And this is where Jeffrey Shannon and indeed the Dr. Noel Mardoon, whom I met as well, I believe these two are pivotal. Is part of a solution to all of this. And as I mentioned, the multi-layer, teachers. I know like, with teachers, it's strange because the government, when they ask them to bring a new curriculum, something else, to, oh, there's more money, there's always problems, everything else. But what we could do is invite people like social workers, police in, to describe to young, start at a very young age, that this type of action of this particular child is inappropriate and that we have to treat girls with respect. That That's going to the yeah. heart of it. That how do we treat girls with respect? Just at the lower level. Uh, I suppose the difference in this story is uh, that the boy was just 14 years of age and uh, felt that he had to do it or there'd be consequences for him. And he he, he, uh, was um, assessed and had little understanding of the idea of consent. Uh, And I think there's another issue here, John, because uh, it seems as though if you're a victim, you're a victim. And it's kind of irrelevant how the abuse took place. The scars are the same and as deep, uh, depending. Uh, but uh, quite often we hear of children uh, who have been abused by adults and we see that in the increase in uh, the number of child pornography cases. Uh, again, something that starts on the internet. Uh, there were 78 cases last year compared to 22 cases in 2015, an increase of 250%. But whether it's an adult abusing a child or a child abusing a child or an adult on adult or child on child, there's a a victim in every circumstance. And young people today are expecting their Leaving Cert results. This young girl now uh, is looking forward to, to doing her Leaving Cert. And she says that after she'd been abused, it changed her. It took away her independence, that she had been flourishing with confidence and had lots of hopes and dreams, but fear had taken over. She'd quit sport and social activities enjoy- that she had enjoyed because of the fear of seeing these boys. And she said she was threatened by members of their family. She had suicidal thoughts. She self-harmed by cutting herself. She took an overdose by swallowing tablets after seeing one of the boys and becoming upset. She was in fear of bullying and started to carry a knife with her when she was going out. So, I mean, you can see from that uh, the consequences that this had on her, but she's not unusual, unfortunately, is no, she? No, she's not. I mean, we only have to go back to the institutional abuse. People didn't come out to it before. They started carrying that pain, that suffering and everything else for 40 odd years. We don't, that's what we have to, when I say a multi-layer approach, I'm talking about when Dr. Jeffrey Shannon, he invited us in as victims. Now, it needs to go beyond that, of course. Let's, if you say this young girl, for example, she needs all the help that can be done out there to reassure and, in fact, invite her in to give her perspective on how it happened, what can be done. And the other thing I, I think it's important to bring the young perpetrators, get somebody to speak to them, ask them what made them, what made, what made them go into this. I, I, see, I certainly believe that what we've done is in order to protect children, what we've done, and as part of the process when I met Dr. Jeffrey Chan, we've now gone the other way. That In fact, that we're so overprotective of children that we don't advise them, we don't keep an eye on them. 
the internet. And that's where Dr. Mm. Jeffrey Shannon comes into this. You see, because, uh, he's an expert in child protection. And he actually, his terms of reference uh, to, to, to the government uh, is in relation to protection of children. What he does is review on, uh, on specific national and international legal developments for the protection of children. So the internet is an international process. That's the first thing. Mm. Where children can, we've seen in the that murder case there, that children were accessing atrocious things about violence with, with sexual behaviour. So we need to get to that first. But you're right, it's a multi-layer uh, approach. We need to be able to get the police go into the schools and then point out the devastating effect that this can have on young girls like this child. Is it not too late? We can only deal with what we have, Mike. Mm. Now, and come here. And All this, the will in the, the world. It I'm seems as though to young people this is normal. No, young, well, young that's people what are we very have to impress upon children that it's not normal. You see, what's happening is when children look at the, the it's, uh, what you just described, they actually believe mm. that's normal. What you described there. But there's even worse, which they described in the Anna Creel case. But what I'm saying is so we have to get to the young children. Now, I'm not going to get my childhood back. Mm. Neither, unfortunately, is this poor young girl. But what we can do, what I didn't have, and that's why I kept it for 40 years, mm. is to get all the help that that child can get. Yeah, but we all remember when we were kids and we were saying this is normal and that's normal because we thought it was normal because everybody else was saying it was normal. All our peers were saying it was normal. So we believed them and then we grew up and we realised, well, no, actually, it's not normal and I'm glad no. I didn't do it. But these days, kids are, are hearing uh, that sex is normal. They're seeing that sex is normal and they're looking at it on their phones and you'll hear 15-year-old girls say that threesomes are, are normal and they believe it's normal and some of them will behave that way because they believe it's normal. Yeah, but then there's the point. How did they suddenly believe that? We, as I, I said, we went from one extreme to the other. Mm. I know children. Uh, it, I think, I believe my, my own, I mean, it all started in the last boom when people, children were getting phones as young as 8 and 10. That was wrong. Mm. You've seen at communions and the confirmation, children going around in limousines. We were given too much freedom to our children, in a sense. We were making them adults. Young girls as 12 was wearing skirts right off. So I, I'm not saying children or people should be attacked because they wear skirts or anything like mm. that. But what I'm saying is we stopped allowing our children to be children. We made them into little adults. You only have to see that today. And they behave like that. And that's why children as young as 14, 15 are involved in knife crime, drugs so it's not just sexual things mm. it's the whole outlook of how we brought our children basically since the internet and uh, digitalization we just came into the 24th century too quick and we weren't prepared for that well yeah and i mean it started before that i mean it was hollywood and the music industry before that and probably uh, the same players because this is big business well, yes. Well, of course it is. And let's face it, Facebook is big business. Mm. Snapchat is big business. Mm. So what we need to do, and this is where like, I go back to the point, Dr. Jefferson, if he has the powers, to, even if it means the children under the ages of 18, 18 or 14, mm. need to have a fingerprint going in to be able to access something, do it because it protects them. And then go into a school at a very early age and show children, girls and boys, 
what's normal and what's not normal and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. That's what we need. It has to start in the schools. Now, for some reason, I, as I explained earlier, mm. ministers will find, my own son as a teacher, will find, oh, teachers might want to do it, oh, they want more money, or they, so they'll back off. But then bring in, if we have the social workers, please, except, and show graphic, if we have to show graphic, the consequences of little girls like this, mm. and consequences for the boys who might perpetrate it. And both boys, it would seem, because it would seem to me as though both boys are are possibly victims of the society that we've allowed uh, to be formed in this country and around the world, it has to be said. We're probably no worse. We might even be better than in some other places. Uh, Undoubtedly, this was unbelievably humiliating and life-changing for that little girl. The judge spoke uh, about some aspects of the offence which were particularly demeaning but that the defendant wasn't responsible for the younger boy uh, and uh, at the same time he said uh, that he did participate in the humiliation of the victim but it would seem to me that both boys as well as the girl let's not forget the girl top of the list but all three of them were victims to some extent well certainly the 14 year old he was Mm. bullied and goaded and everything else into it so he felt under an awful lot of pressure but even allowing for the 70 year old as in the Anna Kriegel case despite her horrific and everything and as Mm. we can't forget the victim in this. And the fact is, those two children were victims of what's going on today, who have caused it, the perpetrators. They've obviously seen it. I mean, they didn't learn that from their parents. Mm. They didn't learn that. They learned it from, I suspect, the internet. And the internet has allowed a lot of other people's children. But society, we have to accept that we have allowed our children to think these things are normal. Basically, we don't have control over our kids. And parents have to take responsibility here. Is that look, if it's your child, I know what my son, I knew he's maybe a school teacher now and an adult, but I had to know where he was at all times. And yes, you just freedom and there's responsibilities and obligations on children, and they have to know that. But parents have to know that, that you know, we've allowed our children to grow up too fast. They aren't, I don't care. Look, I've seen it. Young girls. 14, 15 going, I've seen them. And they're talking about, and they're talking to their adults. But behind it all, there's a little child's mind there. Even for these young girls who think threesomes and sex is normal. And, and then it comes into all various types of sex and everything else. That's not normal. And so somehow we have to ingrain that into our children that this isn't normal. Now, okay. years ago, we always were told certain things was normal, certain ones, all right. But most of operated on the, in, in, in the, the, the sex abuse operated in the background. Can, can, can I um, take you on from there? Because when we talk uh, about historical abuse, we're quite often talking about uh, the kind of abuse uh, that you endured uh, in uh, one of uh, the religious institutions. Uh, and indeed, I imagine, John, that you're angry today at uh, this news uh, that we're hearing about that uh, the religious congregations uh, have paid over just 230 of the 480 million euro that it has owed to the state for the last 17 years. Well, that doesn't surprise me, Mike. We've spoken about this before. Mm. The reality is they would say that they have no obligation to pay anything. But the fact of the matter is they agreed to pay half. Now, I don't know why, and I blame government on this. 
Why does the only way that the church? I've learned this from a, a, a guy called Steve Rubino. Uh, he was an attorney of law in America. He said the only thing that hurts the church is money and shame. He said if you shame them, that prevents them making money. So what the government should do is every day come out and say publicly what you've done and what you're not doing, more to the point, is wrong, and we're going to shame you, and then cut the grants. Tax them. Okay. Get the money back. Tax them. That's the only way that they'll take notice. See, they've, what they, it's like everything. Once they've noticed that the abuse has subsided and the criticism has subsided, they just go back to their old ways. John, I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for joining us uh, this thank morning. You, can I, just, I, yeah. I believe, as I said, Jeffrey Shannon, if you can get out there, maybe you might invite him onto your show. Because mm. He's mm-hmm. responsible for all this. Now, he, I think he really could be the solution himself and Dr. Niall Mundoon. They're responsible for children's protection to a big degree. So they are the solution to most of this. John, as I say, thank you very much indeed. It's always a pleasure to thank talk you. to you. Thank you, as I say, for joining us. John Kelly, coordinator of the Survivors of Child Abuse Group, SOCA. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. If you did your leaving cert uh, this year, we congratulate you. And we hope that you got the results uh, that you were hoping for, but... Just to conclude it and uh, to finish the Leaving Cert and get your results is a great achievement. So congratulations to you. Undoubtedly, many people will be celebrating and uh, Drink Aware is asking parents to have a discussion with young people about alcohol. Uh, let's hear why now. Miriam Tabor is uh, the Communications and Marketing Manager of Drink Aware. Very good morning to you, Miriam, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you wouldn't condemn young people for celebrating by going out for a drink tonight. I take it. Absolutely not. I mean, I think the first thing to say on behalf of Drink Aware is congratulations to everybody who has received their Leaving Cert results today. I mean, it really is the biggest achievement of their lives to date. And it kind of marks the start of a new phase of their life as well, which is a really exciting time. But I suppose I think what we're all too used to seeing the day after um, results night events around the Leaving Cert is media reports of maybe young people in towns across the country maybe drinking a little bit more than they intended to. And I think it's just what we're calling on is for parents to really encourage this trend that we're seeing for what's being called sober curiosity among young people, or even if they are going to drink alcohol when they're of legal age, more mindful drinking. So we're really just asking parents today to take a bit of time just to engage with their young people who've received the results to get involved in their plans, discuss how they're planning to celebrate their results. You know, it's important that everyone's on the same page in relation to rules around alcohol, especially when not everyone receiving the results today are actually 18 years old. There's a lot of students who will be 17 years old. So it's important that parents, you know, are clear about the rules and they discuss this with their young people mm. um, while acknowledging that not um, every parent will allow their young people to drink. And I suppose from a parent's point of view, they are the primary role model for um, their children, um, even at this age, and especially coming into this new phase of their lives. So it's for parents to offer some practical advice about alcohol. And I think, you know, handling situations where alcohol may be being consumed in, you know, an excessive way. Mm. And by this, we mean binge drinking, which is something that 
we know our young people are engaging in a bit more regularly than the rest of the drinking Well, and a bit more regularly than would have been the case years ago. Uh, I mean, is this not an outdated message in uh, that uh, these days uh, when children get to this age, when they're doing their leaving search, that they're well accustomed to going out for a few drinks? Yes, so I suppose we are seeing a slight decline um, in the number of young people in Ireland who drink alcohol, but what we're still not seeing a shift in is the amount of alcohol that they're drinking when they do consume it. Mm. So that is, it is... But I, I mean, they're probably well able for it at this stage. Like years ago, you would have had all of those nightmare stories uh, because young people were going out drinking to celebrate their leaving cert results, but probably weren't used to drinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean... What we say about binge drinking, it is unfortunate that we still have to put out that message, but that is the reality that we're living in. So binge drinking is when you consume six or more standard drinks in one sitting, and it's an awful lot less than people think it is. It's a lot less than even adults who have been, you know, drinking for a long time or many years. Um, It's a lot less than even they think it is. So, but unfortunately, that is still the case. Like, we know that our under-25s are drinking in this way. They're twice as likely Um, as the rest of the adult drinking population in Ireland to binge drink on a weekly basis. Mm. So I think this is something um, to keep in mind, especially as our young people are getting the results today, but in the coming weeks they're getting college offers. It's a bit of a stressful time. You know, there's lots of anticipation. They're starting a new life. They might be going to a different county. They might be moving away. Mm. So there are different changes, and there's lots of new pressures that can bring about the I suppose, desire or tendency to turn to alcohol in these situations. Um, but binge drinking is absolutely still an issue in the country, not just with our young people, but across all demographics. And that's what our 2019 Drink Aware Index research shows, that it is absolutely across all demographics. Right. Uh, 58,000 students are to receive uh, their results. Uh, I suppose 70 or 80 percent of uh, them will celebrate uh, by drinking tonight. Uh, I'm not sure you'd disagree with that. Uh, and I would imagine that at least 90 percent of those who do drink to celebrate will binge drink or 80 percent. So, uh, I mean, uh, you're talking about maybe 25,000 young people who will have more than three pints tonight. Some of them will have 10 or 15 pints tonight. Uh, Do you advise against that, given the night that's in it, given how it's such a a big night for them in their lives? You know, our advice to the young people celebrating tonight would be our advice to anybody who drinks alcohol is that if you engage in binge drinking, and especially regular binge drinking, which we know our under-25s are doing on at least a weekly basis, is that this is increasing the health risks already associated with alcohol. So, you know, a third, our research shows that a third of our under-25s anticipate that they'll experience future health problems if they keep drinking at the current levels. So, you know, while they might know exactly how many drinks is binge drinking, you know, for example, it's three pints. Three pints in one sitting is considered binge drinking by the World Health Organization. But if a third of our young people are anticipating that they might have health risks in the future if they keep drinking this way, there is an acknowledgement there that, you know, potentially this is not the type of behaviour that they should be engaging in. But I suppose I would also say, you know, this is a transitional time in life. There's a lot going on in the next few weeks and with people mm. starting college and everything, it's, it is a time that can lead to stress or anxiety. And as I say, there is that risk of turning to alcohol to cope or to conform. And again, we know from our most recent research that a large majority of our young people, 64% of under 25s, are using alcohol as a coping mechanism. And this is self-reported behavior. So that's, they're saying things like, I drink to forget about my problems because it helps when you're feeling anxious, to cheer you up when you're stressed. You know, 
this is quite concerning. And if we look back and say, okay, they're been drinking on a weekly basis, this is something that we do need to address. And parents have a key role to play here. But I suppose it, it's not all doom and gloom. We are seeing a trend over the years that there is this um, sober, curious and mindful drinking movement creeping up behind everything. Um, so there is that desire to drink less among our younger people because they're a bit more health conscious than previous generations. They're okay, so you don't feel that uh, there's young people uh, listening uh, to us today who feel that they have to go out, uh, that if uh, they didn't go out with everybody else uh, tonight to celebrate uh, the results and drink a a lot, uh, that they'd be sitting at home on their own. Absolutely, and that's what we're trying to say. Like, while our research does show that, you know, 7 in 10 of our under-25s are drinking to conform, so that's so they won't feel left out or to fit in with the group, and Mm. I think that's something we can all relate with, um, you know, relate to, especially at this key time. But we do know that we can see it out there, the rise of non-alcoholic drinks, the popularity of non-alcoholic bars being opened in towns across the country. You know, I don't think we ever thought that we'd get to a place like this. So it is important for parents to bring it to their young people and go, not everybody's going to drink tonight, not everybody's going to drink to excess. But it's about, you know, the young people knowing their own minds Mm. and having the resiliency skills they need. And what are they doing if they aren't going out drinking? Well, I mean, there's lots, we hear from lots of parents who say, my child doesn't drink um, because they're into sports and it just, mm. it, it doesn't work for them if they have a match on a Sunday or a training on a Saturday sure, morning. But, but it's of for, no benefit to For them. celebrating the results tonight or over the weekend, uh, what are they doing if it doesn't involve alcohol? I mean, there's plenty of ways to celebrate without alcohol. You know, lots of parents will have parties in their own house where that's, you know, that's a controlled environment where they can put down, you know, the rules to say there is no alcohol here. There's, as I say, there's lots of non-alcohol events going on. A lot of them are being tagged as leaving cert events, which are, you know, gigs or, um, you know, events in towns cross country that don't serve alcohol. So there is that conscious choice being made out there for event organizers and parents alike to actually say, no, there's no alcohol here, but there's plenty to do. And there's, you know, there's still a good night to be had without alcohol. Okay. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Miriam Tabor is the Communications and Marketing Manager of Drink Aware. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Nessa Durkin of Drogheda Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin in Dundalk with a robbery. Um, yes, Michael, um, a robbery occurred in a shop at the the Maxall garage there in the Castletown Road last Monday, the bank holiday, at around 8pm. Uh, a male wearing what appears to be a black Nike jacket with a hood on it, black tracksuit pants and white runners, threatened staff with a knife and got away with a substantial amount of cash. So if there was anyone who saw this happen, maybe travelling up and down the road or has any information regarding this robbery, could they contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042 9388 Now to Kilbride Ashburn, where some tools have been taken from the back of a van. Yeah, unfortunately, um, last Friday, the 9th of August, just after 10am, a male was working at a manhole cover uh, at Glenard, which is Kilbride in Ashburn District. Uh, he realised when he went to the back of his van that his new console was t- gone from the van. Now, he said he was working close by, but didn't see anything untoward. Uh, however, he did see a car around, but didn't kind of pass any heed to it. 
the car that he saw was a dark green Toyota. So maybe if somebody saw anything or saw anything suspicious, or maybe even if you are the owner or the driver of that green Toyota, um, and you were out around the area last Friday. Could you contact Ashburn Garda Station, please? Uh, burglary that uh, occurred in Dunboyne to report on next, uh, but it's uh, some property recovered. Yeah, um, again, Ashburn District again, um, Plunkett Hall, Dunboyne, there were two males acting suspiciously. Uh, they seem, it seems that they had broken into a house and had taken property from the house and one of the neighbours observed something going on. Um, now, he followed them and saw them in an industrial estate. He saw them running across fields behind the estate and he followed them and saw them in the industrial estate uh, where obviously they, they copped that he had uh, followed them. Uh, they discarded the bag with the property in it and made their escape. So if anyone saw anything around this area, there's no description of a car or anything mm. like that. But if anyone did see anything around this area on Saturday morning, just gone by the 10th of August, uh, and it was between 3 and 5 p.m., could they contact Ashburn Garda Station? OK, and uh, we'll conclude the report in uh, Drogheda. Uh, a number of cars damaged. This was on Moran's Terrace, was it? Yes, yeah, so last Sunday morning, actually, between the hours of 1.30 and 8.30 a.m., there were two cars, obviously, parked at Moran's Terrace, um, now they had damage done to them using some sort of a sharp lim- implement like a key or something else that may be sharp like that mm. um, so between the hours of 1.30am and 8.30am so maybe if anyone noticed anyone walking around the area or if maybe now if you remember something that happened on the night could you contact Drogheda Garda Station Such a mindless thing to do know, Yeah. Yes. Alright Okay. Before you leave us uh, maybe we can uh, talk uh, about uh, Flakiol Naharan uh, Obviously a lot of people visiting Drogheda at uh, the moment uh, and uh, there's a, a few things uh, which you wish to advise people about Yeah I suppose just a couple of safety tips for the flies. there's so many people around that I suppose there's a couple of things that we need to remember Remember, um, I suppose the most important one, if you are with a group, maybe have arrange a meeting point for if anyone gets lost. Obviously, there's also lots of guardy around and we will mm. do our, our best to help as much as we can. Sure. Um, um, and I suppose with all the crowds in the town, we're advising people to be wary of pickpockets and theft in general. So just keep your bags maybe close to you, um, secure your personal belongings and don't leave valuables in the car. Okay. Um, I suppose the other thing that we need to talk about any youths that we see with alcohol, um, they will be taken off them. Yeah. Um, we're not going to entertain any any of the youths to be drinking around the area. There's no bottles allowed on the street. Mm. This is uh, minors because uh, yes, minors. Uh, yeah, people are allowed to drink on the yeah, streets. Yeah, uh, But if you're underage, you're underage, whether you're inside or outside. Absolutely. Of the pub, so. Yes. Yeah. So the pubs are mm. um, using the plastic containers. And I suppose I suppose we must remember that this FLA is a family event, that we want everyone to have a great week and enjoy the crack that we know that can happen in Drogheda, hopefully without any major incidents. Yeah, let's hope so. OK, all right. Yeah. Uh, be safe out there. As I said, there's a, a lot uh, to be watching out for. And uh, thanks uh, for that, Garda. Nessa Durkin of uh, Drogheda Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, in the little time that we have left with you, let's go to some of the many comments that have been been coming to us. Marie is back in studio. What have people been saying? Well, we had a phone call from a lady who didn't want to be named just in relation to uh, the discussion around um, the burglaries and attacks on old people in their homes. Mm. And this listener says, when you were a victim of a burglary, Michael, it's very traumatic. You really feel nervous and afraid. It was two years ago that my home was broken into. We were in bed at the time and didn't hear anything, thankfully. There was no violence involved, but at 
at the same time, mm. when we discovered what happened, it was dreadful. It was very scary to think that someone was in our home whilst we were asleep in our bed. It wasn't even big things that were taken, a small amount of cash and jewellery, but it took a long time for me to feel safe again in my home and even now I'm still very nervous. Okay, well I I suppose generally speaking we feel safe in our home. There are times when we feel vulnerable but we feel that we should feel safe in our own home. Sometimes uh, some people feel more vulnerable than others and I take it the older you are that you feel more vulnerable uh, as would be the case with the 93 year old man who came under attack in Dundalk and indeed that 93 year old woman who disturbed those uh, two young fellas in her house uh, for the third time right. for a house uh, to be broken into and ransacked. Betty in Malahide is very upset over offenders getting free legal aid every time they go to court. She thinks that repeat offenders should not continuously be allowed to have their legal fees paid. Okay, well, we're all innocent until proven guilty, and uh, that's uh, the democratic system of uh, the courts. Okay, time for one more. Nick rang in about the annual leaving cert results day Mm -hmm. and says he was glad to see you covering it on the programme, Michael, and sending the warning out to young people to be careful. He thinks that parents should warn their children tonight when they they are going out because the last thing we want is something bad to happen to any of our children. Okay, well, we don't want anything bad to happen to them, but if you did uh, complete your leaving cert today, you should be proud of yourself. Congratulations and well done. Thanks, Marie. Thanks, everybody who has been in touch. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.